it's the dead of summer, but that's not stopping anybody, especially not the New Orleans various arts venues. And the New Orleans Museum of Art has a wonderful program that's inviting artists to be involved with the arts in their museum. And um, we're going to talk about that with Charlie Tatum uh, from the New Orleans Museum of Art. Um, we also are going to hear from somebody who left town. Um, so I'm concerned about some of the people, especially in the arts, who um, have left for one reason or another. So we're going to explore um, what's happening with those people who feel a need to um, leave the city. I think it's important for us to understand and to address. So um, we'll be definitely talking with Andrew Freeman shortly, too. I look forward to the conversation and uh, stay tuned. There is something of a trend um, that's a little bit hard to decipher because we don't have the numbers of people both uh, coming to New Orleans. You know, we've gained a lot of creatives since uh, Katrina and uh, others have, have left for various reasons. And um, Andrew Freeman, who um, I worked with in many different ways when he was here, um, is one of those who took off. And um, I, we, we're just going to explore what that means, you know, the, the why and the wherefore. And so, Andrew, um, first of all, why don't you introduce yourself in terms of what you were doing here in New Orleans before you left? Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm Andrew Freeman. I moved to New Orleans um, uh, let's see, on August 27, uh, 2005. So just a couple days before the storm in order to uh, attend Tulane University. Um, and I didn't realize that. I had no idea you were that more that 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 recent a uh, sign in. Yeah, it was a that was my uh, freshman freshman year, um, and I actually I spent that first um, semester Tulane reopened in January actually um, as a truck driver's assistant assistant <laughs> doing uh, food distribution work throughout the Gulf Coast with Second Harvest Food Banks. Wow, um, that. <laughs> I had no idea. That's very interesting because you yeah. got perspective on the whole Gulf Coast. Yes. So I lived, I was living for the first point of time, for the first two months after the storm, I was in um, living in a house outside of Mobile, Alabama with eight truck drivers that all came down from parts of the country. It was really wow. cool. Um, and then for the second half, I was up at um, Camp Jacobs in Mississippi, the Union for Reform Judaism summer camp there. They had set up a distribution center in a warehouse in town and were accepting donations from around from congregations around the country. And we were distributing them to um, to organizations in need throughout um, throughout Mississippi, Louisiana. Uh, Sounds like a book in and of itself. <laughs> right. The experience um, Truck drivers? Oh my goodness. It was, I know it was, I mean, I was like an 18 year old kid. All the other truck drivers were, you know, like 50 years old. We were all, I was sleeping on the floor. Um, but it was, that was like, you know, my, my first experience. I'm originally from Florida, from the Gulf Coast of Florida, but it's kind of, you know, a completely different culture um, and world than, um, than the Gulf Coast. Um, so I came back to Tulane in, uh, in, January of 2006, you know, was there for the first Mardi Gras back and everything. And really, um, of course, you know, started to fall in love with the city, also started to work immediately when I was my uh, starting my freshman year, 
I started working for an organization called Young Audiences of Louisiana that was an arts education organization in the city. Um, and at that time, they were managing what was a really um, a large influx in uh, federal funding into the air into into New Orleans, um, and we were expanding the organization's offerings into consistent arts integrated after school programs in um, in uh, different school different public schools throughout the city, and that was kind of my first introduction. I mean, at our at our highest point, we were employing I think like something when I was there somewhere between 150 and 200 artists working wow. in schools um, for after-school programs. And that was everything from visual arts programs to African dance, to ballet, to drumming, to you know music, band. Um, it was really like totally, um, totally across the board. And my first real introduction into the, um, into the world of the kind of culture bearers of New Orleans. Um, I was lucky enough to work with, you know, a lot of also we would, we were a booking agent as well for performances in schools. So we would book like Mardi Gras Indian groups and things like that to come into schools and do performances. Um, incredible, you know, icons that we had in the city like Adela Gautier, Adela, Adela the Storyteller and people like that who were part of so many so many people's childhoods and continue to be and we got to uh and i got to you know work with a lot of these people um as i studied art history um and i was also in the business school at tulane i ended up going up to new york and working at creative time which is a public art organization that produces large public art um projects i learned about them because of the project they did in the lower ninth ward after katrina uh they staged a production of waiting for godot um which is where i met them um and i worked for them did you for know that i worked on that too no i didn't know that but i, I would of course, I course believe it oh my I god did the PR. i really for that for that who, who else who else would have and and it was it was working with um what was his name uh the uh artist who who, who really spurred that oh, was that that was paul chan Paul Chen. So it was, I wanted to say Paul, I was trying to remember the last name. So uh, one of the things I've noticed about getting older is names. Yeah. yeah. So um, <laughs> but Paul Chen uh, really encouraged me to do what I wanted to do at the time, uh, which was start the Creative Alliance of New Orleans. And he very was cool. very much um, a, sort of a mentor about getting it off the ground. But for the, um, for the, the performances themselves, Literally, I, along with Sarah Hess, who was working with me, um, did the promotion. And uh, one of the things that we did was really, and, and I don't know if you realize this, but we worked all of the um, school departments that had anything to do with the arts. And that's why you had those lines of people right. there that who were, many of them, academics. I mean, that was kind yeah. of the, our, the constituency that we zeroed in on. That we that was available, that was there, that we knew would be interested. So that was a phenomenal experience all around. I mean, just his way of promoting his the signs that he put up all around right. town. That was one yeah. of my favorite marketing, second only to Dawn Dito, um, who I'm not talking to at the moment, but nonetheless, <laughs> she had a great idea when we were first promoting the first opening of the Contemporary Arts Center of using CB radios, and she would set up these little fake. 
um, like phone booths that were CB radio phone booths. Oh, cool. Connect with all the people that you connect with uh, through CB radio. So second only to that was the signs that Paul Chen put up all around town. I'm trying to remember what they said. Do you remember? No, I don't remember what they said either. Something like, you know, uh, waiting for Godot, which yeah, nobody yeah, yeah. knew what that meant, but um, it, it certainly caught people's attention. Um, anyway, so you did that. Um, yeah, no, I had no idea we worked together on that. That's so funny. So I didn't work on it. I just, that's where I became familiar with the organization Creative Time. Oh, it I, said, it's, 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 the, it's the lines from the play, A Country Road, A Tree Evening. It's the- Right, thank study. you. Say that again. Um, uh, a Country Road, A Tree Evening. And somewhere I have one of those, probably in my garage. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, that's how I learned about the organization. Time. I'm and sorry? That's how I learned about Creative Time. Um, and then I went up and worked for them um, uh, in New York. They introduced me back down in New Orleans to Kirsha Keshla, um, who was doing KK projects at the time. Yeah. Which, was, which we also worked on, yeah. Which, which and um, you know, that was just such a frenetic and energizing moment in time. Um, it was Prospect Dan Cameron leading Prospect One um, at that exact time. Kirsha was doing KK projects. So I started to, so I worked for, um, for Kirsha at KK projects through the, um, through Prospect One. Um, you actually kind of worked, it sounds like, th with some of the leading um, arts enterprises of the time. At the time. Uh, interestingly. So again, I think that sounds like an exciting, like what an exciting time. Book. What an exciting yeah, time. It was, and I was so, and I was young and there was such an influx, you know, of artists um, coming into the city at that time too, and that were working. Um, so it was, a, it was, it was incredibly exciting. Um, I continued working for young audiences uh, after I graduated, where our big project was actually um, was trying to get awarded a charter from the State Board of Education to open an arts integrated charter school, um, right. which my last day at Young Audiences was the grand opening of Young Audiences Charter School at Kate Middleton. Um, which was the first arts integrated charter school um, in the city. And now they have like two, three elementary schools, a high school and a preschool program um, throughout that are all under the Young Audiences Charter School, all arts integrated curriculum um, uh, uh, in on the West Bank and East Bank of New Orleans. Um, so it's really cool. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, just uh, to mention, uh, go back to Creative Time for just a minute. So we yeah. also worked with Creative Time doing a um, kind of a seminar about how to uh, turn your art practice into business. And right. that was something that we did using the um, uh, Joan Mitchell facility at the corner across from where we are, our offices right. are in, uh, on Esplanade. But um, so uh, you, you hit on a, one of the key points I wanted to address and that is that influx. So you were part of that influx in a sense sure. and, 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 and hyper aware of it because it was dominant, it was important. There was a, a lot of new folks coming into town. And one of my yep. favorite examples other than Kirsha herself um, was um, the woman whose name you're gonna help me with who created the little uh, Mardi Gras crew that um, created uh, um, floats out of bicycles. So oh. 
yeah, I'm going to have a hard time. Um, I'll, re I'll remember her name, well. but um, she's still at it. I mean, she's oh, still cool. doing that. Yeah, she's come back in and out of the city, which is another thing that I think is fairly common that people do uh, need to get out for various reasons, but also sure. to come back. So let's let's talk about that influx first of all. Yeah. My theory about it is that literally all of the publicity around the storm, around Katrina, gave people a perspective of New Orleans that was much more contemporary, that there tended to be a vision of the city that was buried in the early jazz age, um, you know, the 20s, the, the trad jazz era. And people didn't know much else about it than that. And then through all of the publicity around the storm, they learned much more about the contemporary city. Um, hold on one second. I'm gonna have to pause. Okay. See where we are and, and get people to shut up in the background <laughs> who are gonna be picked up by, by our, um, hold on. So, so tell me about that influx and what that was like and the kinds of people who were coming here, what they did. And then there's the question of those who stayed and those who didn't stay. Mm -hmm. and, and tell me about that from your perspective. You know, you know from my perspective, I think it was, uh, you know, an, an incredibly energizing time. And I think for my, I'm 36 years old now. So at the time I was, you know, in my early 20s. Um, uh, during during this influx and during this time. And I believe very much what you're saying about the publicity around what was happening in New Orleans allowed for people who were possibly looking for an identity, something to latch onto, a community that maybe they hadn't found um, in another place to be a part of a larger narrative. Like there was a there was an overarching narrative that was happening about New Orleans. Um, and there was like a time, like this was a time in which recovery was occurring and growth was happening. And, you know, there was a, there was a really, uh, it, it felt exciting. Um, and I think that a lot of people were drawn to that um, and, and wanted to come down and be a part of a renaissance of a historic American city, um, which I think, you know, was a, and it was an incredibly fertile um you know, time to be there. Of course, you know, the reality of the situation is that New Orleans is um, is New Orleans and it doesn't just want people to come down and the city doesn't, does it actually reward people who want to come down and change it? That's not actually how it works at all, you know? And, and I think that that can be, um, that can be uh, um, exhausting possibly to to maybe a lot of people that that found themselves coming down thinking that they were going to create um you know a new a new uh you know arts driven paradise for themselves um without really uh wanting to change their own their own selves rather than change the city and their image so i think that that at a certain point there's a there's a tension there that's untenable um and and could definitely, if you were to look at that period of time as a as an enormous influx of people, um, there was there was bound to be um, people that that didn't that didn't work for. Um, and then you know, of course, and you know, this is part of it too. Over the course of time, it's like the things moved on, the story moved on, the world moved on. Um, there was you know new new tragedies, new hotspots, new scenes, new focuses for, for philanthropic money, um, uh, new focuses for, you know, uh, for, you know, 
capital or venture capital or something like that than than New Orleans and and you know young ambitious people have to follow that. So interesting, yeah. And I, I would say also that that was a, a time when um, there was definitely a shift. Not unlike, I mean, I, I'm a child of the 60s, right? I come out of college in 65. Sounds like ancient history. To me, it's yesterday. And um, at that time, uh, there was a big shift. We, we were coming out of the sort of really um, buttoned down uh, corporate world slash McCarthyism, um, just a you know, a, 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 a closed door era, I would call it. And then there was the open door of the 60s when things just blasted open. And, and, and mm. you really, you, you, there was already a big explosion in the arts at that time. Um, and then uh, I think the 70s kind of, you know, again, it, it, everything is yin yang, it kind of went into the yin. It's a sort of to me, uh, in New York, uh, where I was at the time, we ran into fiscal issues and the city was sort of in a downswing for a while. And, um, and so there was a dispersal of, of creatives out of that mm -hmm. city at that time. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, that swing, that uh, is, is, keeps going. And, and I think that um, to some extent that has been happening of late and, uh, as we were going into Katrina, we were in one of those little down spirals, I think, in the city. I remember thinking, ooh, where, where is this going? When we came in the early 70s, that's when I came, um, it was upswing, it was Moon Landrew, you know, welcoming a diverse population into government, which had not happened before. There was segregation here. When I came here, I had very little true intrinsic understanding that I was coming to a place that had just recently integrated. Right. I mean, that was something you never really absorb because you weren't there for segregation. And when you read about it, it sounds so horrifying and you just say, oh my God, I mean, I just came in. That was that was about 65 again was when, when there was integration. So when, when I come in 72, three, um, it, it's the, you know, that, it's, it's the evolution out of that. Um, um, and so, yes, it was a dynamic time. And then um, when we come out of Katrina and, and that rush that we got, then it starts to settle down, as you said. And during that time, I think a lot of um, folks who had come to town settled in. They got married, had children, found a, a way to make a living and, and advance in the city. And then, as you said, there were those who, who that didn't work for. Mm -hmm. And so some of those folks, I think, found, tell me I'm wrong, limited, um, too limited, a range of kind of um, promotion, promotable um, opportunities. And that's when you start to see um, uh, some folks having to go elsewhere. Tell me about the going elsewhere. You did yeah. it. Tell me why and tell I me mean, what you, it was like. You kind of hit the nail on the head because as I, as I then transitioned more into, into the business world in, in New Orleans, I started working for um, a public relations agency called Bon Maroc. Um, and I was working on some, you know, very, exciting projects my first my my first project was the um was the cafe habana that just recently opened uh, 10 11 years after uh we got 
city council approval for it. Um, uh, that was that was kind of the first thing I, I worked on. Um, but I was working there and we were doing exciting stuff. And I was working with a lot of arts organizations. Um, I was working with the um, with the with the uh, uh, I'm sorry, the Julia Street Arts Galleries. Um, the name of the arts district. Yeah, the arts district. I was working with the arts district. I was working with Jonathan Ferrara and the Guns in the Hands of Artists project. I was working with the Hellas Foundation, all of their projects. Yeah. Um, I was working with the Ogden Museum. Um, on, you know, we were getting to do some very, very cool stuff. And then I was also doing work for for um, larger organizations in other parts of the country that were trying to set up shop in New Orleans. That were doing the mm -hmm. same thing that artists had done five, seven years earlier was come to town um, and, and be a part of the narrative. So, you know, I helped West Elm open their first store, their store on Magazine Street. I helped Tiffany and company open their store in, um, uh, in the Canal Place. Um, and it was, you know, it was really, really great. Worked on a bunch of stuff with New Orleans Entrepreneur Week. Remember the excitement around New Orleans Entrepreneur Week back in, in those days? Um, and, uh, you know that the 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 feeling that you described, which was the limited promotional opportunity, was something that like really started to strike me as I was becoming as I hit like thirty years old, um, and I was working and I had a good job and I had this, but you know as a one as a queer person and I had a partner, but I wasn't necessarily interested in like having kids or anything like that. That wasn't a priority for me or anything like that. But you know career advancement was a really big priority for me. Um, and it was at a certain time where I felt, you know, there wasn't, it didn't seem like there was a large slate of more companies coming down to the city that I could work with. There was definitely, um, you know, the organizations that I was working with were facing larger um, issues with finding funding. Um, you know, the, the grants coming down weren't the same for arts organizations. Um, so it became kind of a, it, you know, I could see that it was becoming a less tenable situation for where I had kind of set myself up in. Um, and let me stay right there for just a minute sure. before you press and, and, and come right back to your point where you were going. But um, the, the diminution of arts funding um, I, I certainly uh, am aware of that on a personal level because it became harder for us. You know, we had a nice little pop of funding for the Creative Alliance when we first started. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, everybody warned me, Gene, this is such an exception, you have no idea. And then I, I came into the uh, unexceptional time um, and it, it has been very hard. Um, yeah. So uh, t tell me about that. Is that... Is that something that we sort of as a national policy dynamic have to really think hard about? Um, if, if all uh, philanthropies do is respond to crises and then uh, kind of move on to the next one, that's a pretty bad, that's a pretty bad process because just as a, as a place could be um, advancing from the sort of startup phase to uh, a, a more uh, mature business and arts phase, the money dries up. Yeah, I, I mean, arts, absolutely. Arts, it's a huge problem. 
And, and arts are unfortunately so dependent on philanthropies. I don't think that's a good exactly. model. I've made no. the arts from from way back when I've been working in the arts, even in New York in the in the in the uh, uh, when I was up in New York in the '90s, I worked up there most of the time. And I was saying, you know, this this is a bad model. We've got right. to think of a better way to support the arts than that. So so that was you you view that as a contributing a major contributing factor to um, a, a, the beginning of a of a kind of quiet exodus of some people who just sure. couldn't see a future here. I I I definitely believe that and felt that personally. And I do you know not not to say that every funder every organization you know like I commend groups like the John Mitchell Foundation who like they made a long term investment in the city. They set up an organizational headquarters, a full residency program um, in the city that's going to be there in, you know, relative perpetuity. Um, and, and, you know, organizations that can make lasting change like that that did, um, you know, are, are unfortunately the exception to the rule. Um, I believe that, you know, we're also lucky to, you know, I was lucky to work with the Hellas Foundation, but the establishment of the Hellas Foundation really is a force for arts funding in the city um, uh, uh, came at the, uh, the most necessary time when a lot of other um, funding was, was drying up um, and was able to fill, you know, some of those holes, but, you know, you can't, one, one organization can't do everything. Um, and, you know, it's been, I, I think that that definitely, um, it contributes, it constricts everything. It constricts the amount of money that ends up in the artist's hands. It constricts the ecosystem um, in general. Uh, and it kind of, it, you know, you can see a, a kind of negative spiral occur when that happens. Did you, at the time, think about uh, how you might have been more, let's say, entrepreneurial in creating your own uh, path, and why did that not work for you? Right. So, I mean, I felt like that at the time um, in New Orleans and what I was doing, that there was, uh, you know, uh, I felt somewhat limited in my opportunity to to be to kind of uh, harness that entrepreneurial part of myself. Um, part of it could be that I'd been there so long that I was entrenched in some certain communities, had notions and ideas. Um, but, you know, I wasn't able to say, you know, Gene, like strike out and start my own firm or something like that. Why would I do that to Skipper Bond, who was an incredible mentor to me in a tiny city where we'd be competing over the exact same contracts all the time? I wouldn't, that's not the type of person I am. And it's not like what I, I did, there wasn't room for it, you know? Um, so I didn't feel like there was room for me to strike out on my own doing what I was doing on, on the same side when I, when I was working with my partner, Drew, and thinking about, you know, his, his herbalism practice and his work with cannabis specifically and launching possibly a brand in like the consumer packaged goods space, um, you know, one New Orleans doesn't have legal cannabis. Two, it's a it's a relatively small market if you're trying to smart start a consumer packaged goods company. Um, and I know that they're actually side note now is a guy by the name of Eric Becker in New Orleans who has a, um, a THC beverage that he sells at a bunch of stores throughout New Orleans called Louis Louis that I saw the other day online. A friend sent it to me. Um, but 
it's not fully legal. Um, the um, opportunity kind of kind of came where it was 2018, and California had um, legalized cannabis, and the firm bond that I was working for had started working with cannabis companies um, in California. I'd gotten a little familiarity with the um, with the industry and um, the agency allowed me to kind of move across the country and continue to work remotely while I kind of, well, Drew and I figured out if we could do something um, in in California in this in the in the cannabis market. Um, and one thing that was immediately um, clear to me here was one, how much it very much like did not matter that I was not from Los Angeles when I moved here and was trying to meet with people or make new connections or, you know, network in any way that was not, um, you know, a topic of conversation. Uh, and the second was how um, relatively easily I found money to flow here. Um, there's a lot of money. It's a, it's a rich town. Um, and when I was, you know, looking to do something entrepreneurially and seeking investment, um, you know, it, it came, uh, uh, you know, in a much, um, more natural fashion than in a way that I really couldn't have imagined how I would have done the same thing in, um, in New Orleans. So we were able to, you know, seed and start a company here. Um, and, you know, now we have a, now it's you know, four and a half years in, five years in, and we have a, a cannabis company. So had you, um, if you had wanted passionately mm -hmm. to stay in New Orleans as opposed right. to leave, and I think you, you did in part, but at, at a certain point, it just seemed to make more sense as you just described to um, go to a place where the, 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 capital was easier to secure to do the work you wanted to do right if if if, if you were just bound and determined to stay here and make it work you know there are many challenges it's not just a capital issue it's not just um sort of an attitude about people from away versus people from here from away is an expression used here for people who are not born um uh, or, or you know how New Orleanians always want to know what school did you attend? Exactly, exactly. Uh, I have to say Walton High School in the Bronx. That is definitely. Anyway, what 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 would you say we most need to do? You know, I I, I think now is an incredibly interesting time, and you know I haven't you know I've, I've been back to New Orleans many many times since I left, but you know I'm not completely on the ground in the same way, and I but what I do feel like now in this age and with the tools of everything around distributed workforces that now is actually an incredible time for an entrepreneur to be in New Orleans working on something with uh with a distributed workforce you know when I think that about distributed workforces you're talking about essentially the uh, different uh, ways that people can work remotely part of the exactly exactly I I I, and I think that New Orleans does have an opportunity and, and could, again, attract that type of, um, you know, leadership talent who either work remotely on distributed workforces. I think the I think the idea that, you know, what was that? What was the large tech company that 
they got a bunch of tax breaks and came in and they were gonna have 500 developers move down and do X, Y, Z. I guess that was, it was an AT&T affiliated company. I don't remember the name like that. I don't know. I, I, I like in, in this, in, in this post COVID world, you know, it's, I think it's um, difficult to imagine attracting that number of talent to, to, to New Orleans when they can, when they feel like they can live in, you know, Utah or Bali. Um, and uh, I think kind of embracing, like if I was back in New Orleans and committed to, you know, starting something it would definitely be a digital business that could be managed um, and uh, with a remote, remotely distributed workforce. That's exactly what I would do now. So to be honest, when I uh, first came here, I felt at the time that we were headed in that direction, in the digital mm -hmm. direction. And I, I, I thought that exactly what you're describing would happen. And so it should have been a little bit more of a trend for that to happen and didn't. So do, do you feel like the people that, you know, when, when you meet now people that are moving to New Orleans at this point in time, like that it's a more um, like intentional decision um, and that the people that are moving there are more in love with the city as it is rather than um, idea of what the city could be? I can't answer that because I'm not as, uh, to be honest, I'm simply not as in touch with the newest arrivals as I was with our whole posse of folks that came to town right. around. Um, even though I came before Katrina, I mean, I came just after Camille, really, um, you know, because my husband um, had worked on the redevelopment of the coast of Mississippi after Camille, right. and that's brought him to town. And then, so we were in that phase, that was an early phase. There was a smattering of people coming to town, not really that many. And then there was that explosion with uh, Katrina. I don't know the answer to that, Andrew, but uh, again, I think, the question is, um, how do we attract and retain those uh, distributive, uh, you call it, uh, that's a word I wasn't familiar with, distributed workforce, but I, I clearly see what that means yeah. um, uh, quickly. But um, so I, I think what you're saying, and, and, I, and I agree, and I'm, I'm concerned about exactly how this will happen, um, that this is another moment in time, another opportunity moment in time, even if it isn't as obvious as um, what happened after Katrina. The other thing is we're now fighting climate change, which has uh, incredible implications. And, and theoretically, if we were to capitalize on the lessons that we are learning in dealing with it, because we are, as they say, canaries in the, in the mind uh, of, of being right on the edge of the, the early um, uh, intrusion of a uh, rising ocean and so forth, and we, we have to deal with it. But theoretically, when you deal with a problem like that, you should, the solutions are business opportunities. And so we should be making more of what we're learning from mm. that, mm -hmm. as well as um, learning more about how to um, negotiate the combination of the legacy culture that we have yeah. and the continuing innovative culture that we also have. I mean, we're still, I don't know if you saw the New York Times this past Sunday um, with that huge uh, section on all of the rap artists. If you didn't get the Sunday no, Times, you should get it. 
Yeah. Because they have a huge session where they interview 50 rappers about the this the 50 years. You know, everybody's been doing it ever since oh, the yeah, Grammys yeah, yeah. started. Mm -hmm. The, you know the, the the history of the of the rap and bounce and um uh um all of this 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 yeah. these new periods of hip-hop so um theoretically uh there's a lot there's still a lot of juice here that oh, is, is is well connected to that whole music juice uh that's going on um, nationally and internationally and the international is the interesting part too. And I don't, I haven't looked at the section long enough to see how much international they have, but um, I'm aware of things like the Moroccan jazz music movement sure. through somebody like, um, uh, I'm going to forget his name for a minute, um, the, the Moroccan artist who's here, who's found a home here. And, oh, cool. And you've got Cuban artists who are, are come in and doing really well, and other Caribbean artists and so on. So, you know, there's still a lot of, um, there's definitely a lot of opportunity and the question is how to um, really prime it from the pump, not just, um, you know, celebrate it as, as some of the folks in our business community love to talk about how, oh, we are one of the top pipelines for um, tech folks. And, and I don't really buy that. I think, right. again, we are a pipeline for the creatives, but we better figure out again how to build that how to build on it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I like, sometimes I feel, um, you know, both looking back at my history with the city and then my time leaving, I feel, um, you know, I still feel guilty or sad sometimes that I didn't stay and work harder on this particular issue that you're talking about, you know, why couldn't I stay and put my brain power towards, um, towards this for a place that I love? Um, and, you know, I still, you know, I still think about that all the time and I still, you know, still love picking up your phone calls and talking to you about it or coming on and talking to you about it here. Um, because it's like something that I deeply care about. And there is such a, you know, I'm, I'm like a huge booster out here in Los Angeles telling people about New Orleans when people say they've never been. It's like, how, like I, I can't even wrap you my head around it. What do you mean you've never been to New Orleans? It's a three-hour flight. Go from Thursday to Sunday. I'll give you an itinerary. Have a great time. I, you know, I, um, like it's not, you know, it's there's no reason um, that even more people aren't um, aren't experiencing and falling um, in love with the city. But yeah, I I don't have. Um, I, I don't have the answer there. And I, and I will say that it's, it's very interesting to live um, somewhere so large where I actually feel quite disconnected from the, any of those questions, you know? Like, I don't think in my daily life about the arts ecosystem in Los Angeles, or I don't think in my daily life, even about most city government or planning issues outside of, of course, you know, like I do keep up on city planning issues and homelessness and, you know, talk to my, write to my council members and stuff, but it's not, it's not a part of the, my, my daily life in the way that it absolutely was in, was in New Orleans. Um, so one thing I just want to uh, uh, mention to you, you might want to give some thought to, I can't resist uh, always looking for that opportunity, but um, the Tourism Commission now under the leadership of a guy named Walt Legere, 
um, mm -hmm. is doing something um, in October, and I don't know what the final name of it is, but it's basically a, a, a big focus on Music Month. Um, it, mm -hmm. it started, they did something called uh, NOLA times NOLA, uh, mm -hmm. the year that um, the, the big uh, voodoo event that normally would happen uh, was canceled for some reason. Oh, yeah. And so they they did Lost something. It. Now they're they're doing a whole big um, focus on music uh, activity for the month of October. Cool. You might want to think about what you could do with your brand, yeah, association with that event because it's going to be huge. I think um, I, I could be wrong, but uh, it was it was pretty significant when it was just Nola Times Nola, which was a brand oh, new cool. sort of off the boat kind of uh, event, and. Cool. Um, now uh, we'll see what happens with uh, this, but you might want to check into it. Mark Romy at the um, at the uh, Tourism Commission. Uh, I love might Mark. Be a good source, right, to, to um, check in with and ask. You know, uh, surely they're looking for sponsors, and if you were a sponsor, uh, I, I think that would be pretty amazing. Um, even even given the legality issues, you'd have right. to. That. Now you can work around that. You can figure. You can work that. around it. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's just a thought because I'm always looking for that opportunity. Um, Andrew, I, um, I've, I've, we've already we're way over time, so let me just ask you in closing: um, Do you have any um, thoughts that you had conjured as you thought about this interview that I haven't uh, picked up on? What What do you want to add as we close out um, our this conversation? We'll have another one. We'll have more. You and know, I want I you also to send me some uh, mention some other people who have left that I need to talk to uh, for sure. going forward. For sure, um, you know I uh, I think we um I think we covered a lot, but you know I was thinking as we were just talking as you were talking about the um the New York Times article of this like this incredible m memory that I have of um working with the um artist and musician Michael Patrick Welch at the Ogden Museum for an after-school program for young audiences where we actually brought Magnolia Shorty in to do a workshop and bounce performance for the kids at the, and it was like in the atrium of the Ogden. And it was this very like every- now You don't mean trombone Shorty, you mean somebody named no, Magnolia, Magnolia Shorty. Shorty. She was a bounce artist. She, yeah. she, she um, unfortunately was, um, uh, was murdered um, uh, that um, fall. That following oh, year. No, I know who you but mean. she was the right. young talent um, uh, in the industry that the kids like loved, um, and kind of having that that cross pollination between the youth and that 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 street culture and the Ogden Museum um, and the kids and artists working was just like such an incredibly like powerful and potent thing that you know it was. Um, is something that I really reflect on and something that I can't even imagine um, seeing happen, um, you know, even here or being a part of here. Um, and I definitely, um, definitely miss that. I can't wait to come back to New Orleans soon. I look forward to your next visit. And, um, you know, right now, the second floor of my house is in transition. I'm, I'm we have two tenants up there and, Pretty much my office, I'm not using as much because I have less staff. Um, and so I'm thinking about turning that into something kind of uh, either a B&B &B type thing or 
um, more of a, a, a co-working space. So uh, Kibos is mind as cool. a resource when you come back. Of course. And, um, I love to see you. I love seeing you even just here on Zoom. And um, I, I'm, you too, I, really, I miss you. And I, I, I do think it's important to have Andrew Freeman's in the world. So um, come on back as soon as you can. Very important to have Jean Nathans in the world. Just a really um, uh, an honor to call you a friend and really grateful that we got to connect like this. Thank you. All right, Andrew Freeman. Um, let's see, cannabis entrepreneur. Yes, let's, <laughs> let's go with that. <laughs> in California, but um, <laughs> a, a basically an arson-fused human being. We can so um, an art-infused human being who I hope to see a lot more of and as soon as possible. Can't wait. Bye, Bye Jean. Thank you. Take care. Charlie Tatum is the man with the answers uh, for the New Orleans Museum of Art and the one who re reminds us and warns us of wonderful things happening there. And he is with us today um, on two subjects, really, on a wonderful opportunity for artists to become engaged uh, with the museum and, and ways that'll benefit them. And secondly, to kind of update us on the ongoing fashion extravaganza show that I came out for the opening and had a blast and, and uh, really look forward to coming back because I am definitely without a doubt, even though I kind of have been wearing the same $10, um, $10 Walmart dress <laughs> and uh, a more expensive old um, kind of Voile, is that how you pronounce V-O-I-L-A? I never know. It's, it's you know, sometimes it's voile, sometimes it's voile. Um, top. This is just my summer outfit for this weather. I mean, I don't know what else to wear. Anyway, um, Charlie, first of all, um, tell us about this new opportunity that you just put out for artists. Yeah, so we're really excited this fall to be launching the second session of our Creative Assembly residency here at the museum. So it is a residency program designed for artists in New Orleans, um, artists of all disciplines from uh, musicians to visual artists to um, other creative minds in the city. Um, to engage more closely with the museum's collection, the museum's exhibitions and programs, um, and of course with the staff here at the museum. So um, it really is a great opportunity to um, spend time um, connecting to the museum and also to develop new public facing programs or ways um, uh, or ways for looking at art and the city around us. Um, it really is a, a community engagement driven program. So it is, we, we really look for um, artists who are thinking really creatively about the city that we live in and finding ways to support their projects and their visions. So, um... So conceptually, that sounds fascinating. Can you give me just a little bit more specificity about how um, uh, the artists would um, uh, actually experience this program? And let me warn you, I don't have a ton of time. So, um, uh, you know, 
be kind of succinct, if that's fair to ask. Yeah, <laughs> of course, of course. Share with me just a little bit better uh, an understanding of, of of an artist becomes involved, they will. They will kick off the program with a series of professional development workshops. The goal being to um, provide as many resources to um, local emerging artists as possible. And then they will spend time um, developing a public facing program. So from, um, and that's with the support of the museum. So some examples from the last creative assembly cohort um, were a magnificent composition by the trumpeter, Steve Lands. Um, it was the original composition that he envisioned. Um, a performance by the band People Museum out in the Bestoff Sculpture Garden underneath the Louise Bourgeois Spider. Um, some- uh, oh, I'm sorry, uh, I missed that. Yeah, the, the musician Joseph Derensberg um, did a few in-gallery activations um, responding to exhibitions like Black Orpheus and Queen Nefertari's Egypt. And then the food justice act, uh, activist, um, Courtney Clark, um, did a food demonstration outside in the sculpture garden, um, inspired by looking for healthier alternatives to some of our classic New Orleans cuisine. Yeah, so say, it really runs I, the gamut and is really, um, yeah. I know it's, it's personal, personally really fun to see all of the paths that these artists have taken. And I'm really excited to see what this next, uh, next cohort uh, for creative assembly will look like. So it, it, it kind of sounds like anything creative goes, which is a, a, a wonderful notion and, um, and really very different from having a major museum with a huge art collection that is on the walls and in the halls most of the time. Um, this is much more temporal and um, contemporary and, and really inviting people to do something new, which is my favorite thing. Anything new is what I love to hear. Even if I don't like it, it's new, then I'm on, I'm on for it. So that's great. Um, so give me just, a, how does somebody get involved? Um, so there is a application um, interest form on our website now, which is noma.org. And um, it is um, not too cumbersome, uh, I hope for artists, but it gives them a moment to share a little bit more about what they're interested in and what um, they are really um, hoping to gain from the experience. And uh, those are due on August 18th. Um, so there still is a little over a week to get those applications in. Um, and then the, the Creative Assembly cohort will kick off this September. So um, we'll uh, start seeing projects from those artists in, uh, in the coming months. Uh, keep us uh, informed when uh, you put a new one up, and um, uh, we'd love to make sure that people know about it. Um, now, I can't resist just um, a little uh, checking in on um, how things are going with the fashion show. I had a blast uh, coming out for your opening uh, evening, and um, you know, I, I think the image that just won't move off uh, the eyeballs in my brain somewhere um, is the big, purple, wonderful, extravagant gown. I mean, just seeing that one piece is worth the trip to the museum because it's so extravagant and um, dramatic. And it's, it's what fashion is really all about, other than dictating to us which 
um, logo we have to have on which bag, which I'm not into that anymore at all. I used to do logos way back in the 60s. I think I bought one of the first Vuitton barrel bags when they were $60. You know, no more of I that. I have that team. Now that it's over the, in the four figures, no more. <laughs> um, so what? tell me about something about the people's reactions. I'm sure you've gotten a lot of... Um, you know, plaudits for one thing, I'm sure. And then there are, I'm sure, those who said, why don't you have this and why don't you have that? We had a, um, of course, as you know, thank you so much for coming to the opening. Um, we had a really, really great attendance and people have been very, very excited over these past few weeks. Um, I think that exhibitions about fashion um, are really exciting because they feel really immediately relatable. We all get dressed in the morning. We're all thinking about how we our, um, are sharing ourselves and our visions for the day through what we're wearing. And I think that's something that people really immediately connect to, um, even when you're looking at um, really high fashion and red carpet looks like that Christian Siriano dress that you you mentioned that is um, such a stunner. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I keep hearing from people in the galleries, um, which I certainly agree with, is that you really are reminded of the artistry of these garments when you see them in person in the galleries. It's something that I think we can forget when we are you know, looking at um, a live tweet of the Met Gala, or we're looking at red carpet photos, or we're looking at um, a, a couture show from the screen. Um, I think seeing these um, really amazingly crafted and designed garments in person, um, really can't be beat, seeing the weight of the fabric, seeing the details that go into every stitch and every sequin or every piece of embroidery is really um, is really special. So um, I, I have to say that um, I keep having to remind my husband who poo-poos my interests in fashion that it's art. Please understand we're talking about art. Um, it is a form of art. It is a has a, util, a utilitarian use, as does a lot of art. I mean, there are there's art in the, our table settings. There's art in our linens. There's art in our furniture. There's art in and everything that we surround ourselves with. And I have definitely surrounded myself with a little bit too much of all of that, but it's it's all art. And and so it's it's great that it's honored um, in the museum. And uh, I loved being able to wear my husband's oyster crown and oyster necklace. I got lots and lots of attention and, and compliments on it. Um, and also to, to really uh, wear the um, uh, dress, uh, really a top and, and, and a, a, a skirt um, that uh, one of my favorite designers in New Orleans, um, Carolina Gallup. She's very, very creative, and uh, I, I definitely enjoyed um, having her do some work for me. And this is going to be up all the way through November, right? Yes, it'll be on view through November 26th. So it'll be through uh, through Thanksgiving weekend. So we know that that will be, um, is always a busy weekend in town with a lot of people visiting um, uh, from in-state and out-of-state. Um, so it'll be kind of a nice, uh, a nice last hurrah for the exhibition. 
Well, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to uh, check in with us again later on the um, fashion uh, and tell us anything that's developing with that. Um, please let us know exactly when the new artists work from the assembly program comes in. And um, we will definitely feature it on our show because um, we love Namo, we love City Park, we love the best off guard, we love every arts venue in the city of New Orleans. That's what we uh, try to bring to people's attention. Charlie, um, great. I'm going to check in with you on photographs very soon. Okay. Thank you so much, Gene. All right. Thank you. So even though we have an issue with some people wanting to progress in ways that they can't hear, um, we're not letting anything stop us. As you heard, we have a great show uh, at the New Orleans Museum of Art to see. There's great shows at the Contemporary Arts Center, at the Ogden, and at galleries all over town. So just because you missed maybe the opening weekend, that doesn't mean that you missed the art. It's all there. Come on out. This is Gene Nathan for Crosstown Conversations. Tune in next week, too.